All right. Well, hey, the title of today's sermon, if you're new with us, welcome. Uh, if you don't know what we usually do here, we actually, what we do is we teach the Bible, right? Verse by verse. And so for the past uh, month or so, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And so today we're going to be in Philippians chapter two. The title of my message is Shine Bright Like a Christian. All right. You guys know that Rihanna song that it's like, shine bright like a diamond, right? Do I need to sing it for you? Should I sing it? Uh, no, nah, I could rap it for you guys, but I don't know. You really want me to? All right. <clears throat> I actually brought water because I knew you were going to make me sing. One sec. No, I don't need water. All right. You ready? Shine bright like a Christian. Oh, no, like a diamond. Sorry. Was that bad? That was awkward. I feel awkward. All right. So, hey, the title is... It's not up there, but it's shine bright like a Christian. The reason is, is because today we're talking about what does it mean, right? This world is dark, is it not? Is there a lot of evil in this world, a lot of bad things happening? Um, maybe poke, Pokemon included, just saying. I'm just playing. I'm not, I'm not shots fired. I'm sorry. But hey, this, this world is dark, right? And as Christians, God calls us to be the light in this dark, dark world. And today, if you guys want to open up to Philippians 2, uh, we don't like to use our phones here because they're distracting. You might pull out your phone and see a Pokemon by my head. That would not be good. All right, we don't want that. So, hey, there's Bibles in the back, Philippians chapter 2. So flip there, and we will get right into it. So today we're talking about what does it mean to be a light. And in order to illustrate to you guys what I'm talking about, I brought a couple items the first item, it's not a light bulb, it's a flashlight, close call. The first one's a flashlight. The second one I'm a little ashamed of, but I have some night vision goggles, okay? You guys, you're probably wondering how I have night vision goggles. Let me explain to you. In high school, I love video games. I love Call of Duty. So when Modern Warfare 2 came out, they had the special edition. I purchased it. I got the hardened edition, the photo stuff, how they made the game, and I got these bad boys. All right, they really do work. I used to play hide and go seek with my friends in high school with these. All right, actually, I'll sell these for 100 if you guys. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not selling these. Yeah, I got you on that one. So, hey, I got these. And in a moment, do not freak out, okay? In a moment, we're about to do something never done before in citizens' history. Are you guys ready? In order to explain to you guys the message today, that we are to be a light in a pitch black world, I want to illustrate it for you. So, in saying that, Justin, turn off the lights, please. All right, these need to go. It doesn't matter. All right, let's just, can I get them? I don't know how to. It's all right, you guys will get the illustration. They got it for me. So hey, there's three types of Christians. Good luck finding your way back. I'll actually get you with the flashlight. All right. So hey, it's pretty dark in here, right? You can see, obviously, there's some lights. Just, just go along with it. And so I think there's three different types of Christians, okay? There's three different types of Christians. In our world, right, we're to be the light in a pitch black world. All right, the world is dark. There's a lot of things happening. I wish this room got darker because it would make more sense. But just roll with it. We live in a pitch black world. And we're called to be a light. And I think there's three types of Christians, I think the first type of Christian, I call them the pitch black Christian. All right, 
if you guys, if the room was darker, you wouldn't be able to see me. This is the type of Christian who has the title of Christian, who they call themselves a Christian, but they don't have the heart of a Christian. In other words, they say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, but there's no difference between you and the world. You blend right in, right? You can't see where you're going. If it was darker, I wouldn't be able to see where I'm going. I would hit someone's foot. That's the pitch black Christian, right? They blend in with the world. The second type of Christian, I call them the night vision Christian. See if I can turn this on. The night vision Christian, if I put these on, if I put these on, I would be able to see all of you. I would be able to see each and every one of you. I'd be able to see the direction that I'm going, but you would not be able to see me, right? If we were in the middle of nowhere and it was pitch black, I would be able to see where I'm going, but I'd kind of sneak around. You wouldn't be able to identify me. This is the night vision Christian. This is the Christian who says, I'm a Christian, right? They call themselves a Christian. They know right from wrong. They can see the path that they need to walk in life. They see how they're supposed to be obedient to the Lord and live their life. And yet they live it in a way where others may not recognize that. Because if they live in a way that others recognize it, they might face opposition. They might face their friends saying, okay, we don't, we don't want that. And they might face persecution. And so this night vision Christian knows right from wrong. They can live that out, but they don't do it in a way where the world sees them. And the last type of Christian is the flashlight Christian. Right? In a pitch black world, in a pitch black room, you guys can all see this light. All right? It's actually really bright. My brother got it in the police academy, so it's extra bright. But hey, this is the flashlight Christian, right? You guys, if this room was pitch black, if you guys went anywhere, you would see this from hundreds of yards away because it's a light, a light in a dark, dark place. This is the type of Christian who says, I'm a Christian, but they live their life in a way. They live their life in a way that the whole world can say, wow, is that, is that what a Christian is? Is that what Christ would have been like if he walked on earth? They live in a way where there's no shame. They live boldly. They live out their faith in a way, right, where everyone can see it. And so today we're in Philippians chapter 2. And Justin, you can hit the lights. We're in Philippians chapter 2. And today we're being called as Christians, as citizens, we're being called to be flashlight Christians, right? Not the pitch black Christians where we blend in, not the night vision Christians where we, we're, we're, not, we're too afraid to, to be bold about our faith, but flashlight Christians where we live in a way that the world says, wow, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. And so today I want you guys to get this in your mind, that we are to be the light in a pitch black world. Be the light in a pitch black world. So Philippians 2, let's see how we get that. We're going to go through verses 12 through 18. Here we go. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In these first couple of verses, we see that we need to work on ourselves because God is working in us. Work in yourself, work on yourself because God is working in you. Do you guys all know the lounge out there, right? You've seen that? It's pretty sick, right? Do you know how that came into existence? Do you guys know? 
So over a month ago, a little over a month, um, I don't know the exact time, but it was a blank room. It was sad. It was boring. The carpet was dirty. It was stained. The walls had cracks in them. They had little dents in them. The paint was gross. It wasn't like terrible, but you get the point. It wasn't as exciting as it is now. And so Tyler Caggiano and Jesse Kimball both looked at that room and they said, we see what this room could look like. And so they both got together, they sketched out some ideas, and they came up with a plan. And they said, we see the potential this room has. We see what this room could look like if we put our minds to it for the next two weeks. We see, at the end of those two weeks, what this room could look like. And so they get excited. Like, I, I, Jessie was, like, ecstatic. She was so happy, excited to do all that stuff. She's creative. Tyler was excited because he loves creating things and seeing the results. And so here they are, and they work long hours, more than normal. Tyler sometimes would stay here till 1 a.m. working, and they were excited about it, right? And so for two weeks, man, two weeks, they are in there putting in work, working on that room, and eventually you get the lounge, all right? You get the lounge. It's nice. But the way that it got there was they saw what it could be, they saw what it would be, and they made that vision become a reality, what we see now. As you guys know, did you know this, that in the same way, right, as those two got, the Jesse and Tyler, those two people saw what that could be, God looks at you and me, he looks at each of us in here, and he looks at us now and where we're at in life, and he says, I know the person, the man or woman, you're going to be in 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years, 50 years. And he says, I see the person that you will be standing in front of me face to face one day, clothed in perfection. And that is going to bring God so much pleasure to see us in front of him, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he says, I see who you are now, right? And I see who you're going to be in the future. And one day I'm going to see you face to face And I'm excited to help you move along that journey. I'm excited. It's called sanctification. God helps us become the man or woman, right, that he knows we are going to be someday and eventually be in front of him. And so he consistently works at it, works at it, works at it. And he works in us, right, through his spirit. He works in us. And because God works in us, we need to also work on ourselves. So let's see how we get this idea. Work on yourself because God is working in you. Verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Paul is no longer, he's not with the Philippians to be their spiritual police, right? Their spiritual leader is gone. And he's saying, now that I'm gone, be much more mindful that you should obey. The other day, Piper and I were driving and she was going, she was driving, okay, she was driving. And I was like, this is just who I am. But I was like, cop! And there was no cop, but it is what it is. And uh, she slowed down. She slowed down instantly. But she was going the speed limit the whole time. But there, there's just something about, like, when you're driving, you're cruising, you're having fun, and then all of a sudden you, like, hear word of a cop or someone like me jokes about it or you actually see a cop that like instantly your instinct is to step on the brakes because it's like, I gotta obey now, right? If a cop sees you, you're like, I gotta slow down. And so Paul, he's saying, look at this community, it's like they don't have anyone to keep them in check. They don't have anyone to say, okay, pump the brakes. And he's saying, because of that, be more mindful that you obey. 
because I'm gone, right? And that's why community is so important. That's why we come here on Wednesday nights at Citizens, not just to attend Citizens. There's a difference between attending here and belonging here. You guys know the difference? Coming here week after week and just showing up versus belonging here where you get involved, you allow people to know you, you build relationships. And that's why it's so important because we're to work on ourselves because God is working in us. When we have a community to help us with that and leaders to help us with that, it makes it a lot, a lot easier. And so we need to work on ourselves because God is working in us. So let's look at what else he says in verse 12. He says, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? If we're to work on yourself because God is working in you, what does it mean to work out your salvation? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to work for your salvation, right? It doesn't mean you have to work for it. There's one side of the pendulum that we're on that says, I've been saved, now I need to work for it, right? We get that idea like, oh, I'm saved, but wow, I feel this urge in my, my heart to just, I have to, I have to climb this ladder of morality and somehow if I work hard enough, I'll get to God, right? That's not what it's saying. But on the other side of the pendulum where it swings, you have the side that says, okay, I've been saved. Now I'm gonna sit here and be a dead body and God can do whatever he wants in my life because I've been saved anyway. I'm just gonna sit here and you abuse grace, right? You don't live in light of that salvation. And so we kind of get this misconception that, oh, I have to work for it. Oh, now I don't have to do anything. But there comes a point, right, where Paul says, work out your own salvation. It means on both sides of the pendulum, you don't have to swing one side or the other, but you can live in that tension. You live in that tension where you say, man, I realize the gravity of my salvation. I realize how much it costs, Christ on the cross, I realize how much grace is worth. It's a free gift that I've received. And you live in light of that. And so you are working on yourself because God is working in you. You realize that he's done a work in your life and if he's called you to himself, you say, God is working in me. And I see that, I see that God's working in me. And because I see him doing a work in my life, he's working on my heart. It doesn't always have to do with outside circumstances, but because God is working on my heart, I'm gonna work on myself. But why? Why will we work on ourselves? What's the point of that? Why will we do it? Look what he says right after work out your own salvation. He says, do it with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Fear and trembling do you guys realize that the God who works in your life, whose fingerprints are on your heart, molding you into the man or woman God wants you to be, that is the same God that spoke the earth into existence with his words. The God that created us, who the galaxies that we can't even fathom, that God who created those galaxies that we haven't explored fully yet and never will, that same God dwells inside of you with his spirit. So the same God, I don't think we understand this, it's the same God that created the universe is the same God that says, I'm gonna work on your heart and I'm gonna work on your life. And so when we realize that and we have a healthy perspective of who God is and who we are, 
the difference between those two, and we realize that the creator of the universe is working in our lives, it's like, man, I gotta stop and just, my jaw drops because I'm in awe. I have such respect, I have a reverence, I have this love. I'm in awe of who God is. And not only that, but look it. It doesn't say just that we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in your life to make you the person that he wants you to be, that he sees that you can become. Just like Tyler and Jesse saw what the lounge, lounge could have been, God is a million times greater than that. He says, I see who you are becoming and I'm working inside of you. He wills and works it within us. And now when we look at that, we should have a response that says, God, I'm not just gonna stand here and see all that you're doing and throw it over here and look at it like a pile of stuff and say, I guess you're doing a work in me. The creator, my Lord and savior, I mean, he's doing something in my life, so I, I guess I'm just gonna stand over here and let him do his thing. It's like, how can you see all that he's doing in your life and say, I don't wanna join in that. I don't wanna work on myself. I see God's working in me, but why would I need to work on myself? Man, I, I look at my life and what God's been doing in me lately. I look at how God's been working in me and I cannot help but say, man, I wanna help work on myself. Do you guys know what I mean when I say work on myself? All right? It means that I have a level of intentionality that says, man, I'm gonna basically work at, at pursuing a relationship with Christ. I'm gonna work at being in accountability and community. I'm gonna work towards that. I'm gonna submit myself to God daily. And when I see all God's doing in my life, how can I not respond by saying, man, I gotta start working on myself too. It doesn't mean that I'm a, like saying, I gotta work my way to God, but it's saying, I've received that salvation. I see he's working in me and I have a responsibility. I have the privilege to then say, man, I wanna work on myself too. I went to Multnomah for the past four years and I see how God worked in my life there. I, I feel like from being from Multnomah, God turned me into a man. I felt like I was a boy going in and he helped me grow into a man. I feel like at Multnomah, I learned how to love people better. I feel like at Multnomah, God helped me become a better leader. I played basketball there for four years. I feel like God helped me learn what it means to invest in people. Also what it means to lead in another context with teammates. Man, and I look at the community I have here at LifePoint, at Citizens, at LifePoint at Whole, having these, these older guys in me, mentors, who, who just pour into me and I see, I see the person that God is making me to be. I see that he's grooming me to be a better man. I see that God's preparing me to be a husband, to help me be a steward of my wife. I see that God's saying, listen, I, I see who you're being and I'm gonna help you become a more effective leader. Someone who has a higher capacity to love people, I see that. And I look at all the things that God's doing in my life and for me to just say, God, I see you doing all that. I see that I'm becoming a better man, um, all these different things, a better leader. My heart's growing for others, for the church and for you, Lord. And if I just took all that and threw it to the side and said, well, you can keep working on it, but I'm just gonna stand over here. I'd be foolish, right? Like how can I not be excited that God's doing this work in my life and I work on myself because he is working in me. It's not like I'm just this dead weight that I say, God, okay, just take me. Just do whatever you want with me. But it's like I, I get excited because I see 
who God's going to make me to be in the next 30 to 40 years. And I'm saying, God, I want to partner with you. I want to be a part of that. And I want to work on myself. And so we're called to work on ourselves because God is working in us. You know, Christianity, it isn't some like lone wolf sport, you know. It's not this thing that it's like, man, I got to work out my own salvation. I got to do this on my own. Right? It's not this thing that we have to dread. It's this joyous, exciting thing. You know, I look at Tyler and Jesse when they were so excited to build the lounge. And it's like God is so excited of the person he's building you to be. And he's so excited to meet you face to face one day. And he's going to take so much pleasure in, in seeing you. And man, we can be excited too with that, right? It's not like we're doing this on our own and saying, I got to work my way to you. But it's God working in us. And it's like, man, I want, I'm excited about that. I want to join in that journey, that lifelong process of sanctification. And so it's an exciting, exciting journey. Work on yourself because God is working in you. So what difference does it make when we work on ourselves? Right, what difference? It's like, yeah, I got to work on myself because God is working in me. But what difference does that make in our world? What difference does it make in your life? What difference does it make? Let's look at the next few verses. Verse 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You gotta shine bright in this dark world. Shine bright in this dark world. Not like the night vision goggles, don't join the darkness. No, we have to shine bright in this dark world. Why do we work on ourselves? Not only because God's working in us, but also so that we may shine bright in this dark world. So we could be like that flashlight. We could be the light in a pitch black world. In verse 14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Simply put, those two verbs are arguing and complaining. So complaining and arguing. Both of those verbs, they represent a heart that doesn't get what it wants. When you complain about something, you're frustrated. You're saying, gosh, that thing was so frustrating today. Why can't I get in my way all the time? Right? That's showing that you have a heart that isn't getting what it wants. When you have arguments with someone, it's showing that you're not getting what you want. Well, why can't you do it this way? This is how I always did it. Right? Arguing and complaining both show that your heart doesn't get what it wants. It also shows disunity. Complaining on the singular level within yourself because you're showing disunity between you and God, saying, God, in my heart, there's something that says, I'm not getting what I want, and now there's disunity between us until I get that. But arguing, right? Disputing, arguing. Arguing is on the communal level. That means that citizens here on Wednesday, when people come in, they say, why are those people arguing? Why are they like stabbing each other in the back? Why are they doing those things to each other? All it shows is that there's disunity. And when you argue and you complain, you're shouting to the world three words, me, myself, and I. And what happens is when people, say, when people see that in your life and they see that on the communal level, in a community, even here at Citizens, what they're saying is you're not shining bright in this dark world, you're joining the darkness. What separates you from the world? 
if you're reflecting a heart that doesn't get what it wants, isn't that what the whole world is doing? What makes you so different? What, what, what makes you shine bright in this dark world if you're just joining the darkness? And so God wants us to work on ourselves because God's working in us. And because of that, we will shine bright in this dark world. But why do we need to shine bright? What's the point of shining bright? Why can't we argue? Why can't we complain? Why does God want us to be blameless children of God? Let's see in the next verse. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. So we're supposed to shine bright in this dark world as children of God. We're representing, right? We're like our father, we're like God and we need to represent him well. And when we argue and complain, we're not doing that. But it says children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Our world is crooked, is it not? And so we're being called to shine bright in this dark world. Real quick, I wanna take a survey because I wanna help you guys see how crooked our world is. I think it's easy to go on Facebook, to go online, to go on television and see all the things are happening. But I think there are other things that we can look at to see how crooked our world is, how pitch black it is. And so I have a question, I want you guys to be honest, all right? You just be completely honest, it's not, this isn't weird, all right? Don't lie to me. How many of you go on Twitter? Let me see the hands. Wow, not that, not as much as I thought. How many of you go on Amazon? Okay, a decent amount. All right, this next one, all of you are gonna raise your hand, probably. Josh, not yet. How many of you go on Netflix? I should see it all. All right, can you guys, can you just keep your hands up, keep your hands up. I want you guys to look around the room. How many people here are on Netflix? I don't, I think there's maybe like five or 10 people that don't have their hands up. All right, you can put your hands down. You guys are starting to smell. All right, I'm just kidding. So check this out, shh, check this out. This is, this blows my mind when I found this statistic. Did you guys know that pornographic websites get more traffic than Netflix, Twitter, and Amazon combined? Did you know that? That means that more people search and go on and watch porn than they do go on Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And every single one of us in here almost raised our hand for Netflix. That blows my mind. That's something that you don't see on the news all the time, but it's something that is just rav like going through our nation like crazy. The next thing I wanna bring up is that 47% of students, of people, will have had sex before graduation. That's almost half. Half of people will have had sex before graduation. Staggering number. And then the last statistic that I hope gives you guys the brush strokes that helps paint a picture of how crooked our world is, how pitch black it is, is that we go, we go around and we, uh, we have plates of food and sometimes we don't wanna finish it because we're too full and so we throw it out. I do it all the time. But you know that every, about every five seconds, someone in the world dies from starvation. And so I'm not saying this so you guys like feel really bad and guilty and tripped up. I'm not saying it because of that. I'm saying it simply to paint a picture of how dark our world is so that we understand the necessity that it is to be the light in a pitch black world. And so the world is dark and it's crooked. And it's difficult to be the light in a dark world, is it not? It's difficult to be a light. 
And I know what you're thinking. Some of you, some of you are probably saying, but Jordan, listen, listen, man. I get that you're saying we're to work on ourselves because God works in us. I get that. I also get that we're supposed to shine bright in this dark world, but you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to go home to a family where my parents are divorced, where my parents fight all the time, where they abuse me emotionally and physically. You don't know what that's like. You don't know what it's like to go home and your parents aren't even Christians. You don't know what it's like to go home and your parents don't even drive you here. You, you don't know what that's like. You're telling me I have, to, I have to work on myself. I have to see how God's working in me when I'm in that situation. I'm supposed to shine bright in a dark place, in a pitch black place like my home that I go to day in and day out. How do you expect me to do that? Or right now it's summer, right? And you guys are probably not even thinking about school, but it's coming up and you're thinking, how am I supposed to shine bright in a pitch black place like my high school or my middle school? How am I supposed to do that? Because it's easier to come here on Citizens because, right, we're all on the same mission per se, but when you go to high school, public school, or Christian school, it doesn't matter. It's like, how do you expect me? Jordan, I get it, you, you want me to shine bright in this dark world, you want me to pursue Christ. God wants that for me. But how am I supposed to do that? School. When it's like no one cares about Christianity. No one loves the Lord there. They're all trying to tear me down. How do I do that? So how do we shine bright in this dark world? Because that is a heavy calling, right? And it's not easy, if we're honest. It's hard. It's difficult. And so how do we do that? Well, God doesn't just kick us out of the bird's nest and say, okay, go fly on your own. Let's see what he says. Let's see how he equips us to do that better. In verse 15, he says, among you whom shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may, proud, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He says, he says, hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to the word of God. Holding fast to the word of God simply means having a steady diet of God's word. This is, what, this is what holding fast to God's word looks like, right? You have the Bible, and this is what we do every Wednesday. We come here, and we learn about it. We submit our lives to this. But when you hold fast to the word of God, what you're doing is you're putting the Bible up here, right? Everyone up here. Shh. Everyone up here. You're holding the Bible up here, and you're saying, I'm going to allow God to shape me, who I am, in my heart, when I submit to this day in and day out on a consistent basis, when I have a steady diet of God's word. And it's not like when you submit to this one day, instantly you're in a pitch black place and you're feeling down, you're like, I have to shine bright, let me read my Bible, okay, now I'm a flashlight. It's not like it's just some spiritual food that, that gives you energy all of a sudden, but it's a steady diet that slowly, when you submit to it, when you're underneath the authority of the Bible, what happens is slowly your heart begins to take shape. And it slowly, right, it begins to align with the heart of God, slowly and slowly. But what our culture does, right, what the world does, the, the world that is pitch black, now I'm not disrespecting the Bible at all when I do this, but this is what we do, right? Holding fast to the word of God is saying, I'm going to submit to it. But what the world does is they say, I'm going to put the Bible on the ground, all right, I'm going to look at that, I see the word of God, and I'm, I'm going to step on it, I'm going to look at it. And what they're saying is, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to kick it around because I'm, I'm superior, Right? The Bible's, God's not telling me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. Right? That's the world. That's the pitch black world we live in that says, what is a Bible? What? Submit to God. What? Submit to God? Why would I do that when I can do my own thing? 
being a light in a dark world? What? Why? And yet, Paul is saying here, it's hard to be a light in a pitch black world. But one of the ways to do that is to submit to God's word daily. To submit to it daily. And through that, our heart will slowly but surely be aligned with the heart of God. You know, getting in shape is one of those things that's not always the most fun, right? You have your body type here, and then you have the body you want over here, okay? Sometimes, I wish, this is how life was. You have your body type here, this is the way you want to look, you eat a healthy meal, and instantly you're over there, right? Wouldn't that be nice? You eat like an apple or something, and instantly you lose that 10 pounds, or you gain that weight, or whatever it is. But that's not how it works, right? If you want to get the body that you want to get, you have to eat healthy consistently, day after day after day. It's terrible, but it happens. And so for me, I have to get rid of monster intake. That's not happening. But anyway, you're right here, and you want to get there. And slowly, as you eat healthy, slowly by slow, over time, eventually, you're going to get, hopefully, closer to the body that you want. But in the same way, if you want to be a light in this dark world, if you want to be the light in a pitch black world, you have to read, if, if you're saying, man, this is the pitch black world we live in. I, I want to be the light. I want to stand out. I want to live for Christ and for people to see that. I want to proclaim that. And you're like, I want to be there. If you read God's word on a steady basis and you hold on to that, slowly by slowly, your heart will align with his and you'll be able to be the light in a pitch black world. You know, that's why we read the Bible, right? Like, why, why do we read the Bible? Why do we emphasize that? Why do we pray? Why do we come here Wednesday night as citizens? Like, why, why do we do those things? Do we do them just to do them? Because reading the Bible, sometimes we talk about it, it's like, man, I got to read my Bible. I just got to do it. But why we read our Bible? Why we come here on Wednesday night? why we have small groups, why we do all these things isn't to do these things just to do them. If we did that, it'd be in vain. But we do it because we see that God's working in us and we say, God, I'm gonna work on myself too. And when you submit to the word of God, when you submit to that, you're saying, God, I'm allowing you to work in me, but this is also a way for me to work on myself and allow my heart to be aligned with yours so that I can shine bright in this dark world. And so that's why we come here on Wednesdays, right? That's why we read our Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we respond with music. That's why we build these relationships. We submit to accountability and authority and leadership. We do those things so we allow God to work in us and we respond by working on ourselves with those things so that we may shine bright in this dark world. And so we are to be the light in a pitch black world. So we're nearing the end, the last couple of verses. Philippians 2 Verses 17 through 18. Let's see what Paul concludes with. He says, Even if I am poured to be poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. A faith worth dying for is a faith worth living for. A faith worth dying for is a faith worth living for. Paul, right, he says that, man, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering, even if I'm poured out, in other words, Paul is saying that he's in prison, and he's saying even if all my physical and emotional energy is gone and poured out, I, 
that's my offering to God and saying, man, my faith is worth dying for. Therefore, I'm going to live it out, even if it exerts every last ounce of energy I have. He's in prison, and Paul's saying, man, my life could even be taken. But my blood being spilt, that's an offering to God because I realize that my faith is worth dying for. And because of that, I'm going to live that out. Because a faith worth dying for is a faith worth living for. Paul says, man, I have this faith. I've invested in the, the Philippians. I've invested in others, his disciples. And he says, man, the faith that I've helped you advance in, the, the faith that I've helped you grow in, we've done it together. But it is worth, it is worth me expending all that energy. It is even worth my life if it costs me that. And so I want to ask you guys a question. What is your faith worth to you? How do you view it? How do you view your faith? Sometimes I think as Christians, a lot of times we become numb to our faith. All right, am I the only one that feels like that? Like you become a Christian, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then over time, you become numb to that. Like you go to summer camp, you feel this spiritual high, you come back and you're like, what in the world happened? Where did it go? We become numb to it. Uh, one of my favorite things to do I know you guys are all wondering this. At the end of a long day, whether it was work or whatever else, just hanging out, I love going home and taking a hot shower. All right, is anyone with me on that? Am I the only one that likes taking hot showers? They're unreal, all right? They're unreal. Man, when I go home and I'm sweaty and I'm just like, gosh, I can take a hot shower. This is what I do. I get in the shower and I put the water on like warm so I can get in there, right? And I stand there. I stand there. And the water's beating down on my chest, and I'm like, man, I'm so tired. This is nice. All right, wow. Ooh. Sorry, this is weird, but it is what it is. Um, just get past the, the awkwardness. It's cool, it's cool. And so I'm taking the shower, all right? And then I'm like, okay, it needs to get harder. It needs to get hotter. <laughs> and so I turn the water on even hotter. And then, after a couple more minutes, I turn the water on even hotter. Okay. And now, five minutes into it, I'm standing there, and the, the water just feels good. It's warm. It's hot. And then I'm like, okay, I've probably been in the shower enough. I should probably clean my body. And so I reach to get soap. All right, if I'm here, the shower, the soap's here. I reach for it. The moment I reach for it, my back just gets scorched and burned. And instantly I'm like, oh! And then I, I go and I turn off the shower and I turn it off, I'm like, what in the world just happened? How did, I was feeling good for five minutes, and now I'm burnt. And I look down at my chest, and it's bright red. It's burning red. And I'm like, why is my chest like a cherry color? What is that? Why is there steam coming out of the shower like crazy? I can't even breathe in this room. Well, what happens, right, is you get in the shower, you turn it on, and it becomes hot. And then you turn it on hotter, and it becomes hotter. But the part of the body that the water's hitting hitting, it eventually becomes numb to that heat. And so you don't feel it as much. You don't feel the intense heat. The water didn't change in temperature. Your body just adapted to it. So you become numb to it. And the moment you turn around, boom, it's over. It's over. It's all over. You're done. You get burnt because the water is boiling hot. It wakes you up. You're like, wow, I was in this boiling hot water the whole time, but I didn't realize it because I was just becoming numb to it right here. Oh my goodness. So the water was boiling hot the whole time. You just didn't recognize it until you turn around and it hit a new part of your body. But I look at that, and I think our faith can be very similar. 
where we stand here and we say, God, okay, I get it. The weeks go by and it's like you're standing in the middle of a shower and you're like, okay, my faith, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, it's whatever now. Okay, I'm just a Christian. Yep, I have faith. I've been saved by grace. No big deal. The, the God that made the universe, he's working in my life, but it's cool. It's whatever. And we become numb to it. It becomes numb. We become numb to it. And something will happen in our life, a life event or something where we wake up and we turn around. We're like, wow, I was saved by grace. The God of the universe that created the world, he's working in, in me. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And we wake up from that and we realize, wow, my faith, maybe it is something that's worth dying for. And when we wake up from that numbness, from that desensitization, man, we realize that our faith is worth dying for. And because of that, it is a faith worth living for. Man, do you guys know, do you guys know why the leaders are here each week at Citizens? You know, I think a couple weeks ago, I was talking to Sam, he said a couple weeks ago, someone asked the question of why are there so many older people here with babies? You guys ever wonder that? Well, check this out, right? Look at what Paul says at the end. He says in the last verse, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's saying, I'm glad that I exert this energy even to the point of death if it comes to that for you all because I'm investing in your lives. And then he says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Do you guys realize that the leaders are here because we love you? Do you know that? That we love you guys? That's why we show up? It's not because we have to or because we need to, but we come here on Wednesdays because we wanna help grow with you. We wanna help you grow. At summer camp, there's people that take off work that cost them money to go there, to invest in your lives. Why? Because they rejoice in that. And so man, when you see leaders, man, talk to them. We're here for you guys because we love you. Not because we have to or we need to, or someone's like, just show up, but because we want to. I know it may sound corny, but no, really, Paul says, man, rejoice in that right? Because a faith worth dying for is a faith worth living for. And the people here, the leaders here understand that. And we want to live that out together in this community of citizens.